This is the Connection Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. We're in a new series called Brave. We started it off last week, and, um, and, and today we're going we're gonna to pick it up. And if you haven't picked up on it yet, um, we're going to use the book of Ephesians, or at least parts of the book of Ephesians, to... Um, to work through this idea that when we know that we are in Christ, it changes the way that we move in the world. And moving in the world, operating in the world, I don't know about you, but there are different times that I have different modes of operation, right? Sometimes I move confidently through the world. Sometimes I... I, I that confidence wanes a little bit. Sometimes I'm confused. Sometimes I'm clear. Sometimes, right? There's all kinds of different ways that we, that we move through the world. And, and a lot of that, or I should say, I believe all of that revolves around or is, is affected by the way that we think of ourselves. The way that we, like... Here's the thing, you know, sin will cause you to lose confidence, right? Now, the flip side of that is we can, we can turn this into something that it's not. We can, turn, we can turn it into a karmic kind of thought process where we where we think well if I don't sin then I can have confidence in God right if I don't sin then God will give me such and such or if I don't sin then God will do this and that for me and if I don't sin and and that's not that's not biblical whatsoever but it but it can change the way that you think about certain things and and when you sin but when you sin it changes the way that you think about things as well, right? Because all of a sudden you know that in the back of your mind there's something not right. And, and listen, we think, we turn that into a legalistic, moralistic kind of thought process of tit for tat, right? The, the, the karmic idea. And, and, but, but what it really boils down to in, a, in the scripture is, is being on the path or off the path. Like, when you're on a trip and you know exactly where you're going, you're going there confidently. You're driving, you're, you're, you're marching on, you, you know the route that you are taking, you know where you're going, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing holding you back about it. But when you aren't sure where you're going, or when you aren't sure if you've gotten off the path, right? Have you ever been rerouted? Have you ever been uh, sent on a detour uh, somewhere? Uh, you, you were on the path and all of a sudden an accident happened or construction or something, and, and you get rerouted. And now you're in the middle of nowhere, right? You're in the middle of somewhere where you don't know what is going on. And so you, you all of a sudden start operating, moving more timidly in that place. You start looking at this road signs and you start, you know, slowing down and paying more attention because, because now your confidence has waned a little bit because you are no longer sure of where you are and where you're going. And that's what sin does in our lives. 
Because sin is not just a moralistic, legalistic construct to tell us whether we're in good standing or not. You're not in good standing because you do or do not sin. Come on. You're in good standing because of the grace of God that has been lavished on you. And His forgiveness and His acceptance of you is the only reason that any of us are in good standing. It's got nothing to do with us. It is by grace, through faith, and of no works of our own. We'll see that soon because it's coming in the next chapter of Ephesians. But understanding that, sin is a positional thing, right? Just like being positioned on the planet, if I'm on the route that I know I'm supposed to take and be taking, I'm, I'm on the path that, I, that is laid out for me, I can move with confidence. But when I get rerouted, when I get diverted off of that, or I decide I'm going to go a different way, right? <laughs> How many of y'all have done that? I think we can cut some time off if we cut through here. And then nine hours later, you're like, I wish I hadn't done that. Like, no women have ever done that, by the way. Just us guys. So don't even... But listen. God has laid out a path for us. God wants to walk with us along the path that He has laid out for us. And, and as long as we stay in in proximity to Him, as long as we stay close to Him, in that closeness with Him, we will find our path. We will find our way. Because He already has the way. Right? Today I want to talk to you about brave because of hope. Brave because of hope. Why do we move bravely through this um, this life that we live? Why do we move confidently through this life that we live? Jeremiah, in, in, in uh, not Jeremiah, in uh, Joshua, when Joshua took over for Moses, maybe I already mentioned this before, but it, it's kinda, it kind of feels like the hinge of all of this to me. This whole idea that I want to get across in this series is when Joshua was taking over for Moses to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. What did God say to him? Joshua said, or God said to Joshua, be, be, be brave, be courageous, do not be terrified, do not be dismayed, have confidence because I am with you. Because I am with you. He didn't say because you're an amazing warrior. Because you're a, you're a fantastic diplomat. You're, you're, an, you're an amazing guy and you haven't sinned in like nine months, you know, whatever. It, it's nothing that. It's because I am with you. And when God is with us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is, if God is leading us on our path. But what, do you, what does that require? That requires surrender. That requires a surrendered heart. To say it's no longer I that live, but Christ that live in me. Not my will, but your will be done. Right? Those are Jesus' words. No longer I, or those are Paul's words, no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. But Jesus' words, not my will, but yours be done. That is the, that is the hallmark of the Christian life right there. That, that is the, the marching orders, if you will, of the Christian life. 
if, if we live that one thing out, because it encompasses so much, it, it encompasses everything. Everything that is God's will is encompassed in that one shift in attitude. Not my way, your way. I don't want to do it my way, I want to do it your way. And when I'm willing to let that happen, then I can stop running and I can start moving confidently through the world. The, the, the proverb that I want to kind of keep in mind here is Proverbs 28.1. It says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as lions. You see, when we live in wickedness, what the Bible calls wickedness, which is a part outside of God's will, we, we always feel like we have to run away. We, we always feel like there's something we have to hide. There's something we have to cover up. There's something we have to keep back, right? And those little shadows that we create in our lives, those little pockets of darkness that we create in our lives are the place where the enemy takes his stronghold. The, the enemy cannot stand in the light. He can only stand in the darkness. And the only darkness that is in us is that thing, that place, that spot that we have withheld from God. Because when we give it to the Lord, we come into the light as He is in the light. And His light shines on it. And, and His light brings it out and, and reveals it and purifies it. Because that's what light does. And if we're willing to simply come clean before the Lord, in that, in that confession. Confession simply means to see things from God's perspective. That's all it really means. It, it means to, to let go of the way I'm trying to look at it. The way I'm trying to justify it. The way I'm trying to salve it over or hide it. And just bring it out in the open and call it what it is. Because that's how God sees it already. Come on. God is not hidden from any of these things. He, he's not blinded to these, to the, to the things in our, he's fully aware. He's fully aware. I used to think that was a scary thought until I began to understand the grace of God more, more fully. And then I, I started having this thought. Even though God is fully aware of the tendencies and the sin and the, and the frailty and the weakness that I struggle with, that I have in my heart and mind and, and, and the things that come against me and all of these, even though God sees every weakness and failure, He still loves me. He still wants me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. It wasn't by anything that I did to make it happen. It was because of his love for me that, it, that he made it happen. Are you with me? And I'm building up to this because I want to, I want to, I want to attack something that I think is hurting the body of Christ. It's hurting, it's, 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 and it's nothing new. I mean, it's, it's something that's been hurting the church since it started. Because the truth is, our ego gets, into, gets in the way. And our ego gets in the way, and we start thinking, I can do this myself. I can earn God's love. 
I can deserve God's love. I can be good enough moralistically that I can, uh, that I can take it myself. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, if that were true, then Christ died for nothing. If you could do it yourself, if you could do it without Him, then Christ died for nothing. And that would be a cruel, cruel thing. But the truth is, it was the only way. Because we can't do it ourselves. Because we can't become good enough. If we have sinned once, if we have, if we have violated one jot or tittle of the law, according to an old translation of the Bible, we are done. We are finished. We are guilty. We are blemished. And the only way that you can come before the Lord is unblemished. So if we are already blemished, then we must be remade. We must be restored. We must be born again. We must, right? All of these, all these words that show up in the scripture in different ways that mean the same thing. I must die so that he can live. In Ephesians 1.15, it says this, For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped thanking, giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That, word, that, that phrase at the beginning there, for this reason, we talked about that last week. Yeah, I'm going to boil all of last week's sermon down into one sentence real quick. It's this, in Christ you are chosen lavished in grace and given a destiny when you believed. You are chosen by God. You were lavished in grace by God. And you were given a destiny by God. And when you believed, you entered into that destiny. You entered into that plan that He has for you. A plan to give you a hope and a future. A plan to give you a life and a, and a reason and a meaning and a, for existence. This is why you are here. And in verse 17 of Ephesians 1, he says this. I keep asking that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. The spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Because here's the key to this. The goal of all spiritual life is to know God better. The goal of spiritual life is not to sin less or to become sinless. The goal of spiritual life is to not become more religious or more legalistic or to learn more rules, or to obey those rules better, right? It's not to be gooder, right? I, I, was, I was good, and now I'm a little gooder. You know, I'm just trying to get gooder and gooder and gooder. You know, no, no. That is not the goal. That cannot be the goal. The goal of the Christian life, the goal of the spiritual life, the goal of the existence of humanity is to know God better. Because when we know Him better, 
How many of you know there, there are certain things that when you, when you get a hold of one thing, it just opens up a whole, everything else opens up. It's like the key. It's like the key to the vault that then opens you up to everything else. This is the key. The key is to know him better. Now, listen, here's what we've done. We've taken that idea and we've turned it into an academic exercise where we say, okay, to know him better, let me just, let me memorize, let me learn, let me, let me you know, build doctrines and create uh, statements and, and create all these, you know, legalistic things and we turn this into a law book so that we can know the law better. That's not knowing him better. Are you with me? Knowing the law better is not knowing him better. Because this is not about a law. This is about a relationship. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. If you get married, right? If you're, if you're married you, or you get married, and, and the first thing you do is you come to your bride or you come to your husband and you say, um, so now what am I allowed to do and what am I not allowed to do? Let's talk about that. Right? How well is that relationship going to go for you from that point forward? Probably not so good, right? But that's what we unfortunately sometimes turn Christianity into, is we turn it into what can we, what, what can we do as Christians and what can't we do as Christians? Or we go compare it to other uh, denominations or other religions and we say, oh, what's your denomination allowed to do and not allowed to do? What's your religion allowed to do and not allowed to do? Because mine's allowed to do this, but not allowed to do that. Or mine says I have to do this and I have to do that. And, and, and listen, Christianity is not about have to. Christianity is about get to. I get to. I get to do these things. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blinded by my sin. I once was covered in the, in the filth of my own making and cut off completely and paralyzed from reaching out to God. And in that paralysis, he reached out to me. His grace came to me. He called my voice out of the, the darkness. And, and through that, I get to reach out to him. I get to come to him. I get to live a life that is not in slavery to sin, but is free in Christ. And when I understand that, I can get off of my high horse and my egotistical, you know, ego trip and say, this is not about whether I have to or what the rules are. This is about a relationship. This is about a communication. This is about a connectedness that I get to live out. When we just become better experts in the law, <laughs> we just become Pharisees, right? Read the Gospels. Jesus was very gracious. Jesus was very loving. Jesus was very accommodating. He was very accepting, except toward one group of people, the Pharisees. The very ones that were there supposedly 
to speak on God's behalf. But they weren't speaking on God's behalf. They were speaking on behalf of the law. And the law is not God. <laughs> the law belongs to God, but the law is not God. And, and so this idea... It, the, the law really grew out of... like Okay, God gave Moses the law in the Old Testament... For one reason, I believe, one reason alone is to prove that we couldn't do it. It was a setup for failure. That's all it really was. Because we needed to be broken down and convinced that we can't do it without Him. Because not, God never intended us to do it without Him. If He gave us the law so that we could do it without Him, then the rest of the Bible is a lie. Because Jesus had to come because we couldn't keep the law. We couldn't do it. With just the law. So it was a setup to humble us, to bring us into that place of humility and acceptance of Him. And it was through, and it was through that relationship that we see the Old Testament going up and down and up and down and up and down. And then finally, God comes to a place and and he says, I'm just going to go silent for a while. And for 400 years, God just goes silent. He doesn't speak to anyone through prophets. He doesn't show himself to anyone. He just goes silent. And what happens during those 400 years is the rise of the Pharisaical law. Because in the absence of a relationship with God, we will create a God out of the rules that we have. Come on. This is, I, I'm, I told you God's saying things to me on the spot, in the fly, that I'm, this is one of the problems that we have in our nation right now, is that we no longer have a relationship as a nation we have a list of rules and laws that we are beating each other about the head and shoulders with because we have become a legalistic nation rather than a nation that was intended to be a relationship by the people, for the people, was our constitution. That sounds like a relationship, doesn't it? Okay, that's the extent of my polyscience right there. I'm done. But the goal of all Scripture, the goal of all spiritual life, the goal of everything that, that brings us closer to God is to know Him better. L look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. That the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. That you would be able to see. I believe that we're coming into a, a season, a new season of enlightenment. I, I believe that we're coming into, or we're already in it. 
we're already in it and we're starting to realize where we are. Right? We're, we're already in the middle of it and we're starting to realize where we are. Like, you, you, it's like quicksand. I've never seen quicksand, but I could imagine. You're just bebopping along, going along fine, and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, that feels a little, mm, what's, mm? and then you look around and you realize, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm already in it. I'm already there. And I believe that we are already there. And church, we need to catch up. We need to open up. We need to open our eyes and look around and see where we are. Because where God is bringing us is into a new way, a new enlightenment, a new awakening to His Spirit, to His presence, to you know, where, he, where we once were, you know, the 400 years of silence, I believe we've gone through some silence. It's certainly, I don't believe it's been 400 years, but I do believe that God sometimes just gets quiet. He just gets quiet, like that, like that teacher in the classroom, and, and, and the, the class is starting to get rowdy, and, and, and everybody's kind of blah, 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 and the teacher just gets quiet. Come on. And start blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute, what's, what's going on? And you don't say a word. But the students realize, hmm. <laughs> Maybe I need to stop talking and start listening. And I believe that's the kind of environment that we're in right now. It's where God is just saying, I need you to look at me. <laughs> I, I need you to pay attention for a second here. I, I need you to turn your awareness to me because I'm about to say something. I'm about to do something. I'm about to release something that you don't want to miss. That, that you don't want to be off bickering uh, about your little theological and doctrinal preferences. You want to be listening to me in this relationship. Listen, if your doctrine, if your theological preferences, if your you know, dogma and legalism tells you in any way whatsoever God can't do it that way, it's wrong. It's a lie. Forget it. Let it go. Because God can do whatever He wants to do. That's the relationship that we have to have with God. Because if we let our interpretation of the law get in the way of our communication with God, we have become Pharisees. Just need to dance a little jig to let you... Are you with me? One of the reasons that I get so wound up about this and passionate about it is the truth is, I have been that... I are one sometimes, right? There are times that I catch myself like, what? Who do you think you are? But it says it right here, chapter and verse. Turn the page. It'll say it a different way. Because God will not fit into my tiny little theological box. He's not built that way, and that was not the intent of the Scripture. The intent of the scripture was not to box up 
box up God in a nice, neat little package, put a bow on it, and send it out to the world. That is not the intention of Scripture. The intention of Scripture is God's voice, alive and well, in our hearts and minds to transform us into followers and, 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 and surrendered souls to Him that say, not my will, but yours be done. And when I am willing to give in to that, listen, I am not against studying Scripture. That would be crazy, right? I've spent the better part of my life studying Scripture. I teach Scripture. I've taught in college and university. I, I study it every day. I learn it every day. But I don't learn it any longer just so I can be right. I learn it so I can know Him. So I can know Him. And I can understand who He is. And I can grow closer in my relationship to Him. And God forbid, and God let me know when I'm studying it for a different reason. And I will repent. <laughs> I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart, that is your spirit. That is the inmost part of you. That is not your physical eye. And that is not your soul your, where your thought process and your intellect and your preferences and your opinions and your emotions and all of those things live. No, this is the spirit. This is the inmost part of you where God is connected to you, where you are made in the image of God. And if we let those things let that place connect with him and open up to him and see him revealed as who he is, as who he truly is. Come on. Because in his presence, we won't stand there in our prideful arrogance and say, yeah, I know your law. I've learned everything about your law. I've got it all. No, no, no. We will be on our face before him in his glory, crushed by the weight of his glory and his majesty, crushed by the weight of his righteousness, because in the, in the midst of his, ours is like filthy rags. Enlightened in order that you may know the hope, the hope. You see, the beauty is that the relationship that we have with God is to give us hope. It's to release hope in us. And through hope, we move confidently. Not arrogantly. Confidently. Not in ourselves. In Him. And it's, and it's when we find that place then we begin to understand something completely different. And that is this. Knowing God better leads to hope because of His power. His power. Not our power. Not my intellectual power of how well I have learned to decipher and divide the Word of God. Right? Anybody that ever starts a sentence with you, like, let's divide the Word of God together. You know, quoting from the Old Testament, or the, the, the King James Version. I just run away. <laughs> I'm like, ah! you know, I just run off like my hair is on fire. I don't even want to. I'm not here to divide the word of God. I, I realize that was old language and it meant something different then than it does now. But now it means something. 
that we're going to approach this like a lawyer. We are not here to be lawyers. We're here to be witnesses. We're here to be martyrs. That's what witness really means in the scripture. When Jesus in the first chapter of the book of Acts says, you're going to be my witnesses to the nations. What did, that word in Greek literally means not witness to just tell the story. It means martyr, which means to give your life for. Right? To give your life for a purpose. And it's in that relationship that my life is laid down so that his life can be glorified and illuminated. Because knowing God better leads to hope because of his power, his omnipotence. Omnipotence means all-powerful, omnipotent. He is potent in every situation. What's your situation? What's your trouble? What's your concern? What's your disaster? What's your struggle? He is potent in that. It's like the medicine that cures everything, right? Remember the old medicine men that rode around in horse and buggy and sold their tonic there? It'll fix everything. It'll fix athlete's foot and a headache. Whatever you need, it'll fix it all, right? No, no. Listen, Jesus is omnipotent. And when we get a hold of that idea, it changes where we run when we have trouble. Look at, look at verse 19. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, the law, power and dominion, the enemy, and every name that is invoked, idolatry, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come, eternity. Are you with me? He didn't leave anything out. What is, what is he not able to handle? Nothing. What is he able to handle? Everything. That's what it means. That's what omnipotence that there is nothing in this world or beyond, there is no power or dominion, there is no authority or law, there is nothing, no other name that can be evoked above his name that has greater power and authority than his power and authority in the spiritual realm. And listen, every struggle that you have is in the spiritual realm. Every struggle, every, every challenge, every issue, everything that comes against you in the physical realm is simply a manifestation of what is happening in the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, God has given you power and authority over all those things in Christ. It's the, it's the scripture that I read when we, at the very beginning of this service, that, that in Christ, all the deity, all of the Godhead has been put into him and in Christ you now have that authority you now wield that authority in you under his dominion under his command that doesn't mean that you know one of the broken ideas that we get a hold of as Christians is that somehow if I if I have this authority that I can just go doing whatever I want just zap you and I'll zap you and I'll do this and I'll do it no 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 you're under authority Come on. If I'm, if I'm a soldier in the army, right, and I have an M16, 
There is some level of authority that carrying an M16 gives you in situations. You understand what I'm saying? Like when you walk into the room with a loaded machine gun or a loaded rifle, you automatically have a certain level of authority. Right? That authority is under your command at that moment. But a disciplined soldier, a disciplined operator of that authority is not operating under his or her authority. They are operating under the authority of the command that sent them. The ones who sent them. When I go into a room as a soldier of the United States Army, I am going in under the authority of the commander-in-chief of this nation. Right? And, and yes, I have this authority, but how I use it is under his control. Are you with me? So I can't just go in willy-nilly doing whatever I want because that will destroy me and everything else. I have to operate under his authority. And under his authority, I operate with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I operate with a greater knowledge, with a greater access to why and what is actually happening, right? Do you think every soldier that's ever been deployed onto a battlefield really understood why am I here fighting? Why am I here shooting bullets at these other people that are shooting at me? No, but somebody does. And the authority that you are under, we trust to know that they know what they're doing. They know that we need to be here. They know why this is happening. And for that reason, trusting them, submitting to their authority, now makes me an instrument to accomplish that mission. When we truly trust God, when we truly trust and submit our will to His will and know that what He's calling us to do is, under, is, is according to His plan, according to His will, according to His purpose, then we will move in bravery. We will move in boldness because I don't have to know the whole story. All I have to do is hear from my commander and do what he says. Obey the will of the one who sent me. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I don't do what I, can, what I want to do. I do the will of the one who sent me because I operate under authority. And Jesus lived as an example of what the normal Christian life is to look like. You want more miracles? You want more signs? You want more wonders? You want more evidence that God is real? Just do what he tells you to do then. Because when you begin to do what he tells you to do, then his will begins to flow. And listen, God's will is miraculous. God's will overtakes this world. God's will overrides the laws of this physical universe because he is not held down by it or held back by it. He has a whole different set of rules that he lives by and we know nothing about them. But we get to exercise in them. So when you pray, you pray with the authority of not the physical realm and physical world, but you pray from the Spirit. The one who is connected to a realm where the things of this world that cannot happen are happening every day and happen easily at the word of the Lord. And when they release, then they come into this world and we call them miracles and signs and wonders. God calls them Tuesday. It's just what I do. 
right? And we're here to bridge that gap. The church is here to bridge that gap between there and here. The problem is we get so sucked into here that we disconnect from there. Knowing God better leads to hope because of his omnipotent authority. There is nothing that has authority over God. Nothing. I, I, I know I said this just a few weeks ago, I remember, but, but I want to say it again because it illustrates this so well. I, I, I was talking to someone years ago, a long time ago, don't remember even who it was, but they said this to me. They said, I don't want to pray out loud. Because I'm afraid if I pray out loud, then the devil's going to hear my prayers and he's going to mess them up before God can answer them. <clears throat> like my head exploded. Right? You, you, now, say what now? Like you're afraid if the devil knows what you're asking the omnipotent omnipresent, omni-everything, God, the power of all powers, the majesty of all majesties, the, the, the unstoppable God that we serve, if the devil finds out that you're asking him for that, the devil's going to swoop in and take that away from you? Are you kidding me? That is putting so much more faith in the devil than in God. That is putting so much more authority and power and allegiance. That is not the God we serve. The God we serve is not sneaking around hoping the devil don't see what he's doing so he can get it done without being interrupted. No, 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 no. That is not this kind of game, right? This is not that kind of party. God steps in and does what God wants to do whenever he wants to do it, any time that he wants to do it. And if we cooperate with him, then the devil is shut out of the equation. When we, listen, <laughs> this is why I'm preaching this, this, this series right now. Because what I want more than anything to do is to elevate your, con your consciousness and your confidence in God to the point where you leave no room for the devil to come in and thwart your plans. When your will is absolutely in accordance with God's will and under God's authority, there is no opening. But when we want to do our thing and want to do it our way, we leave openings for the devil to come in and mess it all up. So how do, you, how do you prevent that? Here it is in one word, surrender. Surrender. Surrender is the hardest way to win a battle. I wrote that down on a little slip of paper. I have it in my desk right back there in my office, and I pull it out regularly when I meet with people. Regularly. Because it is the way to overcome the thing that is causing you to sit in front of me at my, in my office. I guarantee it. If you will surrender your will to God's will and say, Lord, not my way, but your way be done. What is your will? And stop and listen and wait for him to speak and give him room and space to work. Because we like to get out in front of God and we like to, 
be proactive and, and all of these things that just cause us to trip and fall on our face. Verse 22 says, And God placed all things under His feet. Speaking of Jesus, God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Listen to this verse again. Pay attention to this verse because it talks about you. If you are in Christ... If you are a follower and believer of Christ and you've given your life to Him and received His forgiveness for your sins and call Him Savior and Master, this verse is about you. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. The church, that's who we are. We are, He explains, his body, which is his body, right? And listen, if my body starts doing something different than what my brain tells it to do, what do we call that? We, we call that dysfunction. We, we call that disease. We, we call that uh, disabled. We call it all kinds of things to identify that it's not doing what it's meant to do and what it's supposed to do, what it's designed to do. There is something dis about it, Right? There's something broken about it. And when we as the church begin to do things that are not from our head or not from Jesus, not according to his will, but according to our will and our ego, then we are disabled. We are in disease. We are messed up. There is something broken within us because we are meant to be his body to do what he wants to do. And when we are surrendered to that, Then we get to live out the rest, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. We are the delivery system. We are what brings what is in heaven to earth and delivers it to the people around us for the common good. They're called fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit that we are sent here to release into this world to undo the works of the devil, to do combat against the enemy with love and peace and patience and kindness and healing and gifts of knowledge and gifts of wisdom and and, and administration and leadership and bringing people into a knowledge of Him through evangelism and apostleship to change culture and to prophesy the Word of the Lord and to pastor and care for one another and to teach each other so we can know Him better. Come on. My last point. Knowing God better leads to hope because as because of his omnipotent presence because of his omnipotent presence because he is here with us you see in the absence of god we create our own thing we come up with our own ideas we write libraries full of books to support the law so we can worship the law better. In the absence of God, we create all sorts of structures and systems and scenarios where, where, we, where we 
figure out a way to judge against one another and say, oh, you're doing that wrong, and you're doing that wrong, and I'm doing this right, and you can't do that, and you can't do this. But in his presence, we all fall on our face. In his presence, we let go of that legalistic, judgmental attitude against one another. And we begin to worship the one who truly deserves our attention. <laughs> you see, if all your attention is, is turned on me saying, well, but doctrinally, you said a little something right over here, then your attention is off of him, right? Let that go. I say something wrong every Sunday. I guarantee you there are things I've said in this sermon I don't even agree with. Are you with me? It's not about me. It's about him. It's about worshiping him. What is he saying to you? Like I said at the beginning, I want to preach so I can hear what he's saying. I don't care what I say. I just want to be surrendered to him and be his. Listen, when you have a microphone, the microphone doesn't do the talking. I'm just the microphone. I'm just the donkey that Jesus rode into town on. I just want to hear from him. Because I just want a relationship with him. And spending more time with him. In his presence, in his omnipotent presence. His all-powerful presence. That means nothing else takes priority over his presence. We're going to celebrate communion together. As we do, I, I just want you to I just want you to be reminded because that's what communion is about. Communion is not a religious ritual. Communion is not even a right that you have earned somehow. Communion is a reminder of the grace that has been poured out <laughs> that we couldn't earn and we couldn't deserve. And that grace is represented by his body that was broken and given as a sacrifice for us so that we could have peace with him. So I invite you to receive the body of Christ. As with all sin, there is but one way, according to the Lord, that it can be paid for, and that is through the shedding of blood. And so when Christ came to shed his blood, to give his blood on our behalf, it took on two purposes. Number one, as a washing agent to wash us clean, to purify us, to take away the sins of the world. And number two, to clothe us and cover us in his identity because it's no longer I that live but Christ that lives in me and Christ in whose blood I am covered from head to toe. And because of that, I get to celebrate and remember the blood that was shed on my behalf. Would you receive the blood of Christ?
Would you stand with me? I just want to pray. I want to join the Apostle Paul in that prayer that he prayed for the church that he preached to. I just want to pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that they would be opened, and that we would be given a spirit of revelation and a spirit of wisdom to look beyond the things of this world and the things that we have created and the things that we are tempted to trust in and to see the glory of the Father and to see the power, the omnipotent power that is, that is given to us in Christ. That when we call upon His name, He will answer. He is always there and ever-present help in our times of need and struggle. He is always there. And He never leaves nor forsakes us. So Father, as we come, we don't come with any formulas. We don't come with any magic systems or ways of doing things, we come in humility to simply worship You. To simply let ourselves go. To release anything that we think is holding us up like an old suit of armor. We just open the latches and let it fall off on the floor around us. So that we can be filled and clothed by you. Because we want none of ourselves to be seen in this world. It's no longer us that live, but it's you that lives in us. And you have bought us at a price, so we no longer even belong to ourselves. We belong to you. And we say, in the words of Isaiah, here we are, Lord. Send us. Use us to do your will. Use us to deliver the good news. Use us to accomplish your purposes in the world. We give it all to you. We surrender to you in the name that makes that surrender even possible. We surrender in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. Without you, the work we do at Connection Christian Church wouldn't be possible. If you would like to give online, please visit c3christianchurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, take a moment and subscribe and please share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.